Hello and welcome to episode 114 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray admiring the engraving on the claret jug after a thrilling, though not completely uncontroversial, 150th Open Championship. The trophy's in Australian hands for the 10th time. Cameron Smith, the fifth player from these shores to be declared the champion golfer of the year. There's a lot to talk about from that week, but of course, this is professional golf, so there's not too much time for for reflection because there is another major this week with a strong, a strong Australian flavour. Minji Lee defends her Evian Championship title in France, the fourth of the five Women's Grand Slam events. No shortage of interest in that. Also, special guest Jimmy Emanuel from Golf Australia magazine along in a moment to help us break down all of that. But first... Let's head out to left field where we find regular co-host Adrian Logue. Logue, I'm both hopeful and certain that you brought a list of topics to discuss. Uh, I did. I've brought a list across that miserable walk from the station, which we'll be doing for perhaps the last time <laughs> to, yes. to this current studio. Um, At least you got decent coffee, though, before you came. I did. I got a decent coffee. But, uh, yeah, that walk, for, I mean, it's through a wind tunnel. Then you go across an actual highway. You've got a lot of cars to dodge. There's plot like holes. the city. <laughs> it's awful. Puddles everywhere and it's miserable and cold. Nobody's obeying the rule of keep moving or get out of the way. We'll soon be crossing to the sunny side of the street. Yep. You'll love that at the new Sydney Podcast Studios complex. And no doubt you'll find something to whinge about there too. Probably the colour that I'm going to paint it today when I go over there. You'll be whinging about that. That'll be the first thing to claim about. Enough out of that. From the Char- And now from the Chardonnay sipping capital of Australia in the inner west of Sydney comes Golf Australia Deputy Editor Jimmy Emanuel, who will similarly no doubt have a laundry list of issues to dissect. Though yours might actually be about the golf rather than where my office is located, Jimmy, which will be a nice change, it has to be said. More boutique breweries, by the way. but Or batch yeah. brew yeah. coffee. Yeah. Hey. yeah, I can't, go, I can't go, say I've ever had a glass of Chardonnay, but no, it's uh, this is about my fourth interview of the week and it's the first time anyone's complained about a walk as part of it. So, yeah, good to do. Fabulous. Done any work for the mag at all or haven't had time for that at this stage? No. Nah, nah. <laughs> it's just taking a back seat. To- it's funny, isn't it, how it is interesting how heavily you become relied on in this specialised media area of golf when the general media have something like this happen. It's interesting how the phone starts to ring, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's good. I mean, it shows there's interest from outside golf media, but, of course, uh, the – Black cloud hanging over professional golf has been a big part of that interest as well. Like that's that's second or third question everyone asks, despite the fact that we should be talking about the fact that Cam won one of the biggest golf tournaments we've had in years. So let's start there. Then there is the elephant in the room of live. We will of course come to that as we will continue to. I suspect for possibly the next, well, maybe the next decade or more by the time everything's shaken out. But let's start with quick reactions to what unfolded on the course. Start with you, Jimmy. I'll get the same from you, Logan, after he's had a go. What do you think about uh, what actually happened on Sunday at the old course? Oh, it was super impressive. I mean, to to shoot that round of golf, to get hot and make those five birdies in a row in the biggest tournament he's probably ever played, chasing down a guy who had the almost the entire crowd behind him, um, and having not played that well on Saturday afternoon was so impressive. The course played great. It was, you know, hard and fast and there was different shots we don't normally see, but, you know, Cam played to his strengths on Sunday and and played the best round of golf. You know, Rory McIlroy said it yesterday. He said, I got beaten by a better player on the day. And he actually got beaten by two because Cameron Young was super impressive as well that people are seeming to forget. But um, it was really great to watch. And, and Cam Smith, 
really showed himself as a serious player who's going to contend in these things ongoing, not a guy, to my mind, who's in that sweet spot of 18 months where he might get a couple of chances. He showed he's got every tool to get through a major when one of the days he didn't necessarily have his best stuff. Uh, And I think his caddy, Sam Pinfold, did a great job who I've probably watched closely a couple of times and thought maybe at Augusta, and and more experienced caddy might have stepped in and done something. I thought he did a really, really good job yesterday. So, yeah, super impressive and really, really, really good golf tournament to watch. One I really enjoyed rather than just watching because I have get, to. Because you get paid to. Great point about the caddy. Caddies learn too, don't they? Like <laughs> They've got to learn. They're not born knowing how to help their player win a major. Either. They've got to go through it. He probably reflected himself on what happened at Augusta and thought, okay, I've learned some lessons from that. And uh, really good point. Well made, Jimmy. Uh, your initial reaction to what happened on Sunday line? Uh, what a tournament. I, I really enormously enjoyed every moment of this tournament, even – the early morning hours where we're just where well, it's our evening where we're sitting watching group after group just hit off the first playing one of the most banal tee shots <laughs> in world golf it's unique isn't it that you but could be completely captivated by, by it. that's right yes and uh that extended for the whole week and uh, the final day I, I woke up kind of sad that it was the final day and there was only one day to go and that feeling just kept escalating throughout that whole round um and uh, what a great finish we had. Incredible performance by Cam Smith. Um, the golf course was just outstanding. Uh, it didn't need the wind to protect it in the end. You know, there, there was a low score, but not outrageously low. Um, and it seemed like it was a genuine challenge. Like the, those leaders were quite well separated from the, the majority of the field. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just a magnificent test. And I, I truly enjoyed it. It was fantastic. You'd love. I want more. I want gonna, more. You'd, but you'd we, love to have the, it every week. Wouldn't we've got if the you women's open. It'd just be coming normal, up. So. Yeah, and uh, as somebody pointed out, uh, major championship golf returns to the old course. I think next year for 2024. The 2024. Yeah, yeah. sorry and for the women's. On a side note, to be honest wait. with you, having had a look at the crowds and everything, that was going, it would have been great. The atmosphere and whatnot at the Open this past week would have been very hard to see much. Love. I'd, if I was going to go to an open, I think I'd go to the women's open in twenty four. That'll be an amazing yeah. event. It would hopefully be well, like mean, this. They go even to, better. They go to Muirfield this year, so yeah. that's a seriously good watch we've got coming up there because they've the women's open's never been there, so that's going to be unreal well, too. Until recently, women had never been there. <laughs> Correct. The, uh, Correct. Some interesting. I spoke to John Huggin briefly yesterday about a whole bunch of other stuff, and we talked briefly about that. And there's some interesting things, uh, interesting things to talk about there. You, you touched on it already, Jimmy, from the mainstream press. You're right. If it makes it to the third question, if not the second question, is this whole live golf thing hanging over? It's the elephant in the room. Cam was asked about it in his press conference, which you can understand bristling a little bit given what had just happened. But by the same token, his answer did very little to allay the fears of people who might be thinking that going to live is not a great idea. What are your thoughts on Cam Smith and the live golf experiment? It it wasn't exactly a definitive no, but it's sort of consistent with what he's been saying the whole time. He hasn't he hasn't given a really strong answer. So, what was his answer? Just for those who might have missed it, his answer was, "I let my team look after that stuff." After he took issue with, I think it was Phil Casey from PAA who asked the question. Um, look, he's been non-committal the whole time. He he said earlier in the year when he played the Saudi International, he hadn't had an offer to his knowledge. So he is a guy who lets other people field all those inquiries and then 
he obviously makes the decision himself. Uh, but when he was asked at the US Open, he turned the question around and said, I hope it means the PGA Tour goes to Australia and we get bigger events back home. So, it's not it's not really different to what he's been saying the whole time. So, people taking that answer and running wild with these series that that means he's gone, I think that's incorrect because we don't know. You know, there there's plenty of rumours and scuttlebutt, but... Just because someone's got the word golf in their handle on Twitter doesn't mean they actually know anything. <laughs> it, it does feel more like a yes than a no, doesn't it? Like? Yeah, it was a non-denial. He was weirdly unprepared for the answer, mm. or for the question, it seemed. Um, and the answer, to be frank, was terrible. It was like, awful. Yeah, like, oh, my team take care of that. Come on. Like, you, you look after your own destiny. You're like saying the caddy hits the shots. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, yeah, his his price would have gone up now. <laughs> <laughs> he he's got major exemptions for quite a while now. Twenty seven, I think. Yeah. Five years. Yeah. Um, so the time is assuming that perfect. remains the, time the is case. Perfect. Yeah. I, he's in a fantastic position. If he waits for another few months, I think we'll start to see in the fullness of time just what the live golfers have actually signed up for, uh, and new signees will start to get a feel for that as well, and that'll help sort of feed into their decision making. Um, and uh, we'll see what happens. I don't, he does doesn't strike me as the sort of guy who's just going to cash out, though. And it goes to what you were saying, Jimmy, about whether he's just in the midst of his eighteen months of form, or whether he's somebody who's going to sustain a place near the top of the game for a lot of years. I think Cam can be somebody who sustains. You get the feeling he's that player. It's always dangerous to have this recency bias, though, when you're on a high, when somebody's just won a big event. Um, the thing with Cam. At every point in his career, he's you know had As to Bruce, go to the next level many times. Bruce, yes, uh, and uh, what where's, where is there to go now? He's not world number one quite yet, but he seems destined to reach world number one. Uh, and you've got a motivation becomes a real problem then for some players. And Cam is somebody who likes life away from golf as well, very much. So uh, if he can stay fresh and keep motivated, it's it's. A fierce drive, like people underestimate oh, how determined what he is. What it takes to get there, yeah. and he's worked extremely hard. Just look at how he's transformed his body over the last two or three years, and the changes he's made to his game. He's a fierce competitor, and incredibly determined to get good, and he's gotten there now. Um, be interesting to see if he can maintain that motivation. The money's an interesting thing. There, there seems no other reason to go to the Live Tour for those who've done it, Jimmy, other than money. And you can't see if you're a competitive golfer and you think about legacy and all the things Tiger talked about at his press conference, you can't see any real reason to go to Live aside from money. He was asked about money at the Players' Championship when he won the biggest purse in the PGA Tour position, the $3.5 million, I think it was. And he seemed stuck for an answer of what he might do with it. I think we another fishing rod was kind of at the – and that seemed genuine. You don't feel like he's motivated by money, yet I can't help but feel that he is going to make the decision to go. I definitely don't think he's motivated by money. I think he's motivated by having his best life. I mean, this is a guy who got so homesick when he joined the PGA Tour. He may, didn't make, but he got one of his best mates from Brisbane to come over and live in Florida with him so that he could have a touch of home there. Wow. Like, no. He is a guy who – I think genuinely is so much focused on other things to making his life better than money. And the money happens to make it a lot easier to do that. Mm. So, um, you know, it, 
the money is going to be eye-watering, the offer that now comes through. And I, I saw something this morning, about 150 was the sort of number. Million. Um, not 150, 100, 150 million. 150 million. <laughs> to <yeah>. sign, um, <laughs> to play for 20 but, million a week. But, the, you know, there's Cam's an interesting one because there's a lot more there than a lot of other players. You know, this is a guy who's the defending players champion who practices at TPC Sawgrass mm. and absolutely loves the place. So he's giving up all of his practice infrastructure because he won't be going there if he joins Live. No. Nah. He's he's won the Open yesterday carrying a President's Cup towel and a mm. President's Cup uh, yardage book cover. So he's giving that up. And there was we were we were there, Rod, in 2019 at Royal Melbourne. There wasn't a guy in that international nah. team apart from Adam Scott who enjoyed that environment more. Mm. And so I think it depends on other people who go again for Cam because he likes being around, for example, Mark Leishman. Yeah. Like all the time. They're they're really good mates. He and Adam Scott have become really good mates. Scotty was the first guy waiting yeah. for him when he won yesterday, you know? That, yeah. That's gonna so, be a big factor. Yeah. I think there's a lot more there's a lot more factors to Cam making that decision. And, you know, he said to Ben Everill from the PGA Tour at the end of their sort of celebrations last night, yeah, I'll see it at the FedEx Cup playoffs. So it's not an immediate decision, or if it is, he's he's telling porkies to someone. But uh, I think there's a lot more to it for for Cam, um, and he he the the answer yesterday strikes me as someone who's quite genuinely uh, innocent, maybe to the levels of interest sometimes in his life. Mm-hmm. But he sat there all week thinking about trying to win the 150th Open Championship. And he hasn't maybe sat down and gone, I'm going to get this question. What yep. am I going to say? That's exactly what happened. And, and then he's got that question at that time and he's bristled with it. A bit of, you know, sort of mongrel in him comes out and, and takes on a reporter, which, you know, is not ideal, but you, you can understand how it all got there. But And he's given a genuine answer that he's got no interest until it's the final decision. And it obviously hasn't come to the final decision yet. So, you know, the discussions have happened there and he's sitting back and which we can all argue may not be the best approach, but that's mm. clearly what he likes to do and what works for him. Yeah, you've got me thinking in different ways. I, he, he, you know, you would imagine he pays his agent, Bud Martin, a considerable amount of money to prepare him for this sort of thing. So you'd be wondering how he wasn't prepared for that question, given that he pays someone specifically to make sure he is. We'll leave that aside nice, for nice the moment. I don't think Bud's likely to come on the show at any point, so there's no worries about upsetting him in that sense. One of the interesting things about it, you get the feeling that he's not a particularly deep thinker, Cam Smith, a bit like Dustin Johnson, from the outside, certainly, probably, but you also get the sense that he's essentially a good kid from a working-class suburb. He takes those young blokes from Australia every year over to Florida. They stay at his house. They practice at TPC Sawgrass. He doesn't feel like the quintessential approaching end of career, <laughs> cash in on the money, go to live golf kind of guy. So whilst I was convinced this morning that he's likely going to go, you've given me some things to think about there, Jimmy, so perhaps he's not. He, he's also a guy who's who's young enough, that, you know, the, the bracket younger than me, who's Ooh, grown up with PGA. There's an admission. He's finally admitted, Logue. He's not the youngest. There are, <laughs> there's a generation younger than Jimmy. Nice. He's grown up with golf is the PGA Tour yeah. for him. He hasn't grown up, you know, where the European Tour and had, you know, the the bigger names that mm-hmm. only played there and would occasionally go over. He's grown up and it's just been PGA Tour. Yeah. You know, Cam's 28, so he didn't see Norman anywhere close to his prime. So he's he's not in that sweet spot of Greg was my absolute undying hero and, 
you know, I'm used to golf being a big thing around the world. Cam wouldn't remember an Australian summer where there was, you know, a huge amount of big names coming down here and big tournaments and all that sort of stuff. And I would say all he's wanted to do is play the PGA Tour. So there's, there's, there's more, that's the, the harder thing, I think, to win those guys over and bring them over. The thing that would help with Cam is to make Australia a part of it. You know, this is a guy who genuinely loves mm. golf and generally loves his country. If they could set it up and it was a world circuit and he could live in Brisbane, that'd play a big part in his decision. But that's not going to be the case. We all know that. It's going to be based around American events and everything. But, um, yeah, and, and to your point about, you know, the similarities with Dustin, I think I think Cam does think a little bit deeper, but I think he he sometimes intentionally withholds a little bit because he doesn't maybe want to say the wrong thing or make himself, you know, appear foolish. And I've had a lot to do with him in a lot of conversations. And I, he does think a lot more about golf than you might think from the outside looking in. Um, and he's a, quite a genuine person. So um, I don't think he's an easy sell on the concept as much as you know people may think. Yeah, the Dustin Johnson comparison, I think, works on course. Yeah. They're both yeah. very good at getting in their bubble on, yeah. on golf course and uh, just focusing on their game. Um, which is it's a real it's a real asset that he's got there. You mentioned earlier, Logue, that he's now got his five year exemption into the majors. Is that going to hold? Martin Slumbers had some extremely interesting things to say about that before the week started. There was, of course, the controversy about Norman not being invited to the champions dinner, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, despite the fact that he hasn't turned up to one for <laughs> several years anyway. There was some interesting stuff around that. But does Martin Slumbers say the things he says if he hasn't already sat down in a room with Mike Wan, Seth War? and Fred Ridley, and they have decided that this is going to be the language going forward. They will look at the exemption categories for their events moving forward. Yeah, there was a sense that the RNA was busting through the wall a little bit there, saying we'll, we're going to test the temperature here by making some statements and seeing what's, you know, how, how it's going. Is part of that coming from... Uh, not collusion is probably not the right word, but collaboration with the other um, major championship organisations. For sure it was, for for sure. They, they talk about everything from- The five families, as Shackleford likes to call yeah. them. <laughs> but, I mean, the, I don't think people understand the extent to which they all collaborate on not just how they run tournaments, but the rules and handicapping and every aspect of golf. They are the cabal, the evil cabal <laughs> that we've been looking for that run world golf. Is this what you're saying? No, I mean, we've got- that collaboration to thank for, you know, world handicap system and rules of golf that Gee, work. You really brought a lot of people on side there. Like. <laughs> no, it's it's an amazing achievement. These are the and people that gave us the world handicap. The, the rules, the up. rules of golf that are consistent throughout the world, and uh, you know, there, it's, there's a lot of good that comes from that collaboration. Um, uh, so yeah, absolutely, they've talked and uh, has the RNA just taken this opportunity to show some leadership. And even in some ways detract, like take attention away from their tournament, which they would like all of the attention to be on their tournament. Unselfishly, I think they've gone and put a word out there to see uh, how it's going to play. And uh, that, that's that's what an organisation in a leadership position does. Couldn't really avoid it, though, could they either? That would have been dangerous. It would then be the elephant in the yeah, room. And yeah. we also, it's a no-win situation in some th ways. That's right. But we also talked about how it was probably the wrong thing to do to ban Norman. I, I think it was a kind of a stupid yeah. decision in the end. Well, I mean, not the amount of the amount of coverage it got in the lead-up 
is exactly why they did it. Yeah. You know, it, it, it was washed out of the Thursday, news cycle. Yeah, it was done by Thursday. Can can you imagine had he lobbed up and played that Champions Challenge yeah. in a live cap and a live shirt <laughs> and someone put a microphone in front of him? Like, yeah. Yeah. the it derails what should be a great thing. I mean, we had a we had a opposing views in the mag that was about, you know, should he be able to have the exemption in the tournament before it even got to this point? And he didn't bother to go in 2015 when it was obviously Peter Thompson's last time being there and making a scene. So if he cared about it, he would have gone. So if he was going this year, it was a pure PR exercise, which is his job. But you don't get to do your PR on someone else's time. And and that's what it was going to be. And so, yeah, it might get it gives the people who are behind who like like live golf a thing to stand up and say they're just trying to crush it and all that sort of stuff. But you know, it's 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 trying to avoid taking away from what was supposed to be all about the open championship, which is what it would have done, you know. And, and you just got to look at Sergio talking to Spanish media and using that opportunity to tell people he's going to quit the DP World Tour and he doesn't care if he plays majors and go, well, okay, finally why would you do that this week? Finally, something we agree on, Sergio. Yeah. <laughs> Unavoidably, they, they seemed petty, I think, which was the consequence. of Like, I don't know there's a way to deliver that uh, message of not, not having Norman come to that celebration of champions and the dinner and everything without sounding petty. No, that's There's, right. There was no way perhaps to deliver it. But yeah. anyway. I, I do think Jimmy's right, though. And I actually, at the time, I thought the same thing. Yes, the, the, you get, the price you're going to pay is that you're going to be called petty, but what you get is not what Jimmy's just outlined, which is exactly mm-hmm. what would have happened. Did that extend to the coverage, Jimmy? Lots of people, lots of conspiracy theories about – Oh, Dustin Johnson's in the top five, and we haven't seen any video. All quite true. We saw limited. Shambo had a very good tournament. People got people got a taste of what it's like to be an Australian golf fan when Australians in contention, and you don't get well, them to see them yeah, in a shot. I, I was watching that. I watched all of that final round coverage, and Adam Scott was making a charge. You didn't see him until he hit it in a gorse bush. Like you saw him hit one putt. So it wasn't just DJ, but. DJ was a little bit further up there and looked very good all week. So you have to think maybe there was a little bit of something to it. Um, but yeah, you'll never know. But well, it, it did feel a bit that way that there was an intention not to show him until it was really going. Um, but it was the coverage on the last day was very much focused on Rory because I think a lot of the people involved thought it was a bit of a fait accompli that he was going to win. He was the story. Miss- he, he was the story. Miss- let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. For for all the criticisms in the in the wash up about all the media were all cheering for Rory and all, the truth is Rory was the story. Uh, Correct. Yeah. Because Rory was the story if you won or if you lost. Yeah. Right. So you've got to you've got to track that and. And then it turns out that there's another story. And so you go to Cam and then Cameron Young was doing everything he could to make it exciting by either hitting not so good shots or hitting really good shots. So you want to watch that. And, you know, that's that's the sort of – there has to be somebody in a golf tournament that you don't see a lot of, even though they play really well. Who didn't want to tune into Cam Cam on Sunday? Is that – was that a joke? Ish. Oh, okay. Well – Probably didn't. Not probably, a good didn't one. probably didn't reach those dizzy heights. <laughs> no, but uh, there you go. Yeah. Well, just going down, uh, having a look at some of the players there. Cameron Young. Yeah. Just adding to what the Jimmy forgotten said. cam. Really. In all seriousness, he was <laughs> yeah. the forgotten cam. He played camera two. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, he bogeyed the first and then you, you sort of rode him off, but, you know, he, he's had a sensational year. Interesting how the old course served up mm. some of the, the players who were in form. Um, Scheffler, you know, faded away on the final day a little bit, but all of the players who've had a great year all emerged and the cream rose to the top. The leaderboard really was befitting the incredible venue. Incredible test of golf. Identified some incredible golfers. And uh, fittingly, uh, Cam Smith, who's had a better year than Rory McIlroy, mm. emerged on top there. Um, Cam Young's had a sensational year without a win, but uh, you know nearly won the PGA uh, and is just seems to be a real talent. Um, also another player who just sort of gets in his bubble and – plays well. Somewhat a revelation also, I thought. Uh, I wouldn't have expected Cam Young to go to the old course and find a venue that really fitted his eye. He played the mm. place, but he got it, didn't he, Jimmy? He got the golf. A lot of them don't. Justin Thomas, who we talked about last week prior to the event, didn't perform, and he was one you'd say he's got all the tools. Perfect. But- it came out perfectly the the way we portrayed Justin Thomas last week. Mm. He, he is exactly who we thought he is. <laughs> he just... All the talent in the world, but absolutely no, no. patience for a course like that. Uh, and yeah, got what he yeah, Cam Young. I thought was <laughs> got a what he had coming. Yeah. He, he talked, I thought, really eloquently after the first round too. Cam Young, um, that first round sixty four, he talked really eloquently about the golf and the nature of it and uh, how he found it and all the rest of it. I thought he was terrific. He really got it as a golfer. Yeah, I think he's one of these guys who maybe gets pigeonholed a little bit because he hits it so far mm-hmm. and everyone just assumes that that means he doesn't get golf and he doesn't understand how you would play a golf course like that. But clearly he does and he's a bit monotone on the golf course. Someone I saw compared him to like Apple bringing out a cheaper version of the iPhone and the iPhone is DJ and Cameron Young is the cheaper <laughs> one that has got the same power but not all the features. <laughs> and like he was, he he really clearly thought about how he was going to play the golf course. He appreciated that he had an advantage in an area, so he was going to use that at certain points, but not all the time. And he just looks like he's got all the tools. As Logue said, he's in really good form and he mm-hmm. took advantage of it. But um, he seemed to really get Lynx golf across the week. And I, you would have thought after he shot that first round that that was it. Yeah, He'd drift back and he was, he was fighting for it the whole way. And he genuinely didn't think he was out of it the whole time, which was really impressive to watch. And, you know, that's the great sort of the great aspect of Lynx golf that it brings in that he and Cam Smith playing alongside each other and going for low Cameron honours have two completely different games and mm. we're head to head that whole time. And both guys seem to really get Lynx golf and the guys who were playing good coming in that didn't finish that well were the ones who didn't adapt to it and didn't have the patience and didn't really sort of didn't really sort of uh, want to t- want to take on the challenge, mm. even even to a point. You know, you saw Rory putting from miles off the front of greens a couple of times, getting along the ground. It's great, but that was the defensive sort of option. Young and Smith team to not take the defensive option, except Smith on seventeen on that last day. They team to be the ones to take the low running shot and give it more of a chance, and um, it was really impressive. Yeah, mm. wasn't it great? I mean, the the views of the old course were magnificent. Mm. It looked like a big, like, pinball machine that you had to control the ball around. It was just a- With one flipper not working. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> it was just a, a fantastic arena to, to watch golf in, and at least on TV. And 
to understand what's at stake with every shot, even though a lot of the camera angles you're just seeing a person with a horizon line. You, you can understand what's at stake and you, you see enough of the coverage during the week that you start to recognise some landmarks. There's that fantastic ridge line that goes between the 5th and the 14th, mm-hmm. the Elysian Fields up on mm-hmm. top and the 5th fairway down below. And you start, you can instantly, when that's on TV, you instantly realise, oh, that's where they are on the golf course. And uh, the, some of the bunkers you start to recognise, you get, you know, you see Cottage Bunk, you instantly recognise that or the Principal's Nose or Shell Bunker or Strath Bunker or something like that. You start to recognise them um, as the camera angles become familiar. And you can orient yourself on the course, and which you can't do when you're actually there. No, the loop is incredibly confusing <laughs> there right. when you're going around there. But you start to understand what's at stake, and instantly when Cam Smith or they're, they're hitting it off the tee, and Cam Smith hit uh, an iron off the 16th tee mm-hmm. and left himself a really long shot in. But you instantly realised, oh, he's going to be able to, uh, you know, attack the pin from there, whereas the other guys were all trying to control like really iffy sort of wedges from much closer. He's hitting a long shot and going to be able to put some spin on the ball. And the most important thing of all, he's going to be able to flight the ball so that he mm. he can control what it does on the ground. On the ground once it lands, yeah. And that was no better illustration of that than on the 18th with Cam Young uh, being able to get it on the green because he got the ball into the right position yeah. to, to take it. And you still could get a bad bounce. Sure. And it was fascinating to see the ball sort of pachinko around on the 18th. And some of them got through the Valley of Sin. Some of them, some of them didn't. Some went out of bounds in the practice rounds. Um, but he got it up on the green, got a got an eagle. What would Rory have given for that drive? Oh. And Rory didn't hit a particularly much different drive. Truth be no, told, pitched a couple of yards short. It, it went a lot higher. <laughs> yes, I think. Exactly. And and that's the key. Like your ball, like and you have to go. You had to take on the right hand side of the 18th as well for the ball to have an opportunity to run up. And he couldn't hit it too high, but Rory hit a high, straight drive, hit a little bit of a soft spot on the fairway, and he was left with a chip. But again, we all knew what was at stake with that chip. Is he going to chip it? Is he going to yeah. putt it? And that, all of that is what makes golf so fascinating to watch, to watch when there's all of that, those dimensions to the game and... You just don't get that week fact, to week in the PGA Tour. You could have taken the entire field, dropped them all where Rory's ball was at 18 on Sunday. They might have you probably would have seen 35 different shots. Yeah. Three, the four or five players each would have done one. Four or five would have done another. There's a, the, 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 the sort of unspoken thing about the 18th, I guess, Jimmy, is that we all think about it. It's probably what Rory had in the back of his mind. Yeah, sure, it's all about the Valley of Sin, but there's OB just over the back. Yeah, yeah. Not not hard to, they were, to they were hit hitting it off, at OB off in the, the golf course. That's exactly right. And we is that you never think about that when you're watching, but the players stand there would be very much if this comes out hot and gets a kick forward, I could be playing three from here. And what a way would night. that be to end your tournament? <laughs> oh well, <laughs> just I mean, I, it was in the earlier rounds where there was a lot of less than driver off that tee where it was yeah. downwind. Yeah. And they're hitting a shot that is more than likely going to come up short of the green, or if it gets the best kick. It's going to be on the green. That's really cool to watch. Not, oh, if I get a bad kick, I'll end up in a bad spot. It's if I get a good kick, I'll end up in the best spot. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating to watch. And just to, it's a, a niche area of it. But one of the things that always is great to watch during that week, how much guys change their equipment because it's such mm-hmm. a different test. You know, Cam carried a different lob wedge mm-hmm. because he needed less bounce. I reckon every guy in the field had a different bounce set up in their wedges. Cam carried two three irons because he needed specific shots. You know, these guys are having to completely overhaul what they do week to week to play good on that golf course, which is so cool to watch. And a guy like Rory, to that point about his drive on 18, 
He has geared everything about the way he hits driver to hit it high and carry it a long way. Now, that's great every other week, but when you get there, sometimes it's better to not hit it that high and not carry it that far because you're getting it on the ground and you can predict where it's going to land and where it's going to roll out. So um, it really, it really, you know, taps into the artist in these guys. And that was great to see the guys who didn't finish right up the top, but have that in their golf game. You know, there are a couple of the Australians that played really well, like Anthony Quayle on yeah, Debut. Very much. I've spent a, I've spent a lot of time with Anthony and he's got a golf game that is perfect for that. He really you can see really enjoys the mental challenge of a golf course like that. And he likes to work the golf ball. Lucas Herbert, same thing. Min Woo Lee, same thing. These guys who, you know, really thrive when they have to see something different. Um, you could see how engaged Adam Scott was with the whole thing all week. Like that's that's the beauty of that golf course. And the beauty of that last hole is trying to hit it in a spot that's not going to end up putting you in trouble, but not if it gives you the opportunity that if you get the bounce of the week, you're in a great spot. And that OB long is part of that equation that you don't think about because the camera's above the OB. So, you know, no, right. you don't see them go up the steps very often, but they can. Yeah, yeah. In fact, you almost never – I'm trying to think if I've ever seen it televised a ball going OB there. I don't think I have, but it's certainly in the mind of the player who's standing on the tee. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Or, or over a second shot with the, you know, oh, you, could, very you, could, you could blade it. <laughs> that's where, that's the real danger for players like us. Like, you could hit right? a little rocket off I'm the like, blade. That's exactly that's right. You can easily run it up. Neck there. height. <laughs> <laughs> to some spectators. What does Huggy call it? The sickening knee-high fizzer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the pitch that goes wrong. No, if you, if you hit one of those, you might get a bounce off the clubhouse. It might come back. Could that might run. be the play. Well, people standing behind there will probably kick it back for you uh, if they're in that sort of mood. You sort of touched on it there, Jimmy. I just wanted to wrap up with sort of some of the Australian performances, and we haven't talked much, obviously, because Cam Smith won it, but it was a pretty impressive week for the Australians, wasn't it? Min Woo Lee's apparel deal aside, what was that skull that he had on his shirt on day one? And did he have, can I imagine that he had a skeleton down his back on the little sweater yeah. that he had on yeah. when he opened? What's that about? It's a Korean brand that you cannot find much about. So, yeah, I, I do not know. But he's had that for a while. I had that all year, I think. Um, is the skull a usual thing deals. or is, that a, is yeah. that a normal thing, the yeah, skull? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, right. yeah, okay. yeah so... I, I can't offer much more insight. My Korean clothing knowledge is not that good, I'll be honest. <laughs> uh, but a good week for the Australians, has to be said, overall, I thought. Really impressive stuff from most of them. It was great to have so many guys in contention or, you know, in contention for their best finishes. And it, it really, it it's a lot of golf that guys would have grown up similar playing, you know, sandbelt golf that it's not the same idea, but there's similarities that would have really got going and, um, it was awesome to see, you know, we, that first off that we had 11 players in the field. That's yeah. pretty impressive. And then that so many of them played well. Um, I, I mentioned him already, but Anthony Quayle, I was so impressed by. You, of course, didn't see him much on the coverage, but his friends did a good job of uh, putting Instagram stories up of every shot he hit. And um, he was great. Crowd really took to him and his second best moustache in Australian golf. And he was... Uh, it, he was among yeah, and Lucas Herbert is another one that that links golf really seems to Suits. to fit him yeah. and Minwoo again like that you know Minwoo would show up to that event and want to play well every year because it just seems like such a natural fit. Yeah, the listeners can't see it. Where does your Tash rate in Australian golf then? Where do you think? It's probably oh, you're not you're not saying Cam Smith number one. Your one, Cam's, Quail Cam, two. I'm, I'm going on record as saying Cam Smith's moustache <laughs> is the joke. most embarrassing thing in Australian <laughs> it golf. Is, it is a bit of a joke. That, 
I think I had the same moustache when I was 14. <laughs> Very wispy, isn't it? <laughs> it's uh, not not his greatest feature, I think. Have we missed anything there? Like, well, a couple of it? other plays before we leave. So was, I, I thought that experiment, which we talked about last week, of seeing what a Will Zalatoris was going to do, it was interesting to see that play oh, out. Very much so. Um, I, I think there's a there's something lacking in the model that they're using for when it comes to Lynx golf. The Scott Fawcett thing, the, the yeah. decade golfer. I, th- I think there's every validity. It's it's incredibly valid to, to look at your shot yeah. dispersion and say, this is where I should aim. And then sometimes when I aim there, it's going to go to the right a little bit and that gives me the best angle. But to aim for that angle, it brings into play areas of the course that you don't want to go. I get all that. I, I think that's fantastic. But there's two dispersions that you need to take uh, into account. There's the dispersion of where your ball's going through the air and where it lands and then there's just the dispersion of what it does once it lands. Mm-hmm. And what the ball's doing through the air also determines what it's going to do when it lands. And I don't think they necessarily take into account that second dispersion in those models, uh, especially if you're just going off GPS data or just looking at it from Google Maps or something. Or I'm not sure exactly what the process is that they follow. But I'm, I'd be surprised if they're really looking carefully at that second dispersion of what the ball's doing on the ground because things like the rough at uh, the old course this week would stop the ball immediately and you know but a ball five meters to the right would roll endlessly on the fairway so two balls that that land five meters apart could you know end up in completely different places i wonder if you can possibly account for that no matter what you do I I don't think you can, but I think to the point of what I mentioned about equipment before is there's nothing wrong with the system, but maybe it needs to be tinkered with for a week like this that has a very unique element to it in Lynx Golf. So exactly to Lowe's point is something missing in the model, I think. There's there's a tweak that happens to it because you have to account for something that's different. And and that's true of everything in, in playing tournament golf week to week on one model and then you go to something else that's completely different. Yeah. And there's some of the absolutes that mm. that they get to with that model where they say it's always just best to get as close to the green as you can. Well, I, d- I don't think that's the case with- the, One of the rare the, places where that might not be true. That, that's right. Yeah. I think it is true at a lot of courses where they play. Uh, it's an excellent, if not an absolute, a very good rule of thumb to get it down there as far as you can. So, think about it this way. Would you rather be where Cam Smith was in two on 17 or 120 yards further back and 15 yeah. yards to the right. Exactly. <laughs> which, and ask any touring professional in the world, and they'll tell you which shot they'd prefer to have well, at that little, point of the tournament it, out of those two. Into the, into the first with that front pin, mm-hmm. you'd rather be further back than be 30 yards. That Trying to hit that 30-yard pitch to that front pin, even for the best players in the world, that's, that's a hard shot. So being closer there doesn't make it better, in my opinion, and – I think you know, Royal Melbourne's another example where being closer to the, to the green doesn't necessarily make it better. No. no, not just because of our short games. Even people with actual short games can struggle from. Oh, if, if it was me, I'm laying up to a four <laughs> iron right. distance rather than a wedge. But more balls in the water at the burn this year at the first than I can recall in previous events. I was stunned. Yeah, three by of how the many. four days, the pin was very close to the mm. burn, so I think that was a fact. I don't recall the pin being up the front there quite so much so often it's yeah. been there but not three three of the four days yeah and it uh, tells you a bit about the defense how tom leaves a spectacular how to- like, yeah straight how- into that, that the was- pillars and come back to his feet that was mm. sensational I that was like that. dikembe matumbumbo coming up and slapping it away and giving the finger wag that was great <laughs> great 
It's a basketball reference. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Uh, Very good, Jimmy. Fabulous. How long before, when the next Open comes around, will we see players bouncing it over the burn and onto the green from the tee? Given that I, when I spoke to Huggy yesterday, he pointed out that they're actually really just a run of five par threes around the loop now. Well, the fact they were all <laughs> hitting irons off the first tee as well was something I didn't expect to see. Like, they've got a lay. They're laying up. Absolutely. With shorter and shorter long irons. It's surprising. Are they going to go for it? I don't know. Because it's one of those things. That Depends what the track man tells you, how far you carry it. And yeah. If it's firm like it was, if you can carry it 10 yards short of that green, you might be able to bounce it on. We'd, <laughs> we'd try it in a tournament, I don't know. Yeah. The, I think that I think the issue with not going for it is not so much that they can carry it and get that bounce, like that's just a bit of a lottery, but it could happen, is that as soon as you hit a club longer than they are and that burn comes back to you on the right-hand side, mm-hmm. um, you bring in a bad shot, knocks you out completely. Yeah. Whereas a bad shot like Ian Poulter hit possibly the worst long iron in professional golf this year on the first day, and it's still in play. Mm. So, just. you know, you've got- <laughs> Just. It's just, but yeah, if he hits driver and hits that bad shot, it's out. And and if you make six down the first at the old course, you know maybe maybe it's it's not the tournament for you. That's what Tiger did. Yeah. Exactly. And, yeah. and where how did he finish? Yeah, that's right. Not yeah, on Friday night, that's how he finished. Uh, all over. I thought that was actually a bit surprising. I mean, he, did he just have a bad round Thursday? Not tournament ready. What was the go there, Jimmy? Well, I, I just want to mention before we leave the burn that Rod had a ridiculous question that he asked you and I, Jimmy, on I also text asked, chat. I also asked BJ. About why doesn't the burn go straight across the fairway? Why yeah. has it got a big kink in it? Doesn't the engineering what, you say that what it would a just, serious, go, it just go straight across? Oh. would make the most sense, especially given that it's now been reinforced man-made. You'd, if you were going to put a trench across a golf course, you'd just go straight, wouldn't you? Why are you, are you, are you could, kink shaming the bat, the burn? <laughs> No, that's an absurd proposition that you've put forward. It, was just, it just dawned on me when I was looking. I thought, well, why doesn't that just go straight across? If you were going to make that, you'd Write make a letter just to go the straight across. No, well, I think BJ had the answer, which neither of you two monkeys managed to come up with. Which I, just, was, I thought the question It's was a natural insult. water course, and they just don't run straight. It's like, okay, well, that was the end of that. None of you guys said that. so I didn't think it was worthy of a I did, response. Yeah, I didn't. Even. I, I agree completely, Logue. Mm. I thought it was a ridiculous concept. All right, well, I'll finish the podcast on my own then, and you two can go off and talk about how clever you are in another room somewhere else. Let's. Uh, so got Tiger Woods. Sorry, Jimmy, I interrupted. Yeah, just quickly on Tiger, and then we'll move on to the, the Evian. <laughs> yeah, uh, he, he just didn't look that sharp. No. Uh, he didn't look like he was moving that well. Um, and I think it's now a realisation that, like every other tournament golfer that's not named Tiger Woods, when he doesn't have his best stuff, he's not going to be able to make it through to the weekend and hang around and then get into contention if he gets hot. Um, yeah, just just didn't look particularly sharp. Didn't, didn't execute uh, the really simple things very well to leave, you know, birdie putts on the short holes that were very makeable and you'd be disappointed with pars and... Um, you know, he, he did not look like he was moving very well. And that's just going to be the luck of the draw if he has a week where he's moving okay or where he's not. He was clearly uh, up. He mentally was up mm, for it. He played much. a lot of holes early in the week mm. and he was really gearing towards it. Um, but it was that real big occasion and it's just a body that whether it shows up that week or not. And, and if you're not sharp and not tournament sharp going to a completely different idea as many as good as he's been on that golf course and at links golf it's a it's a really hard thing and um yeah he, he just didn't look like he had it body wise or game wise this week and 
that was, you know, that's going to be the results occasionally for him as he keeps doing it. I, I, I think it's not a completely write it off for the future. No, I think there will be that. times mm. where he comes back mm. and he has it and his body feels better. Um, but he's still learning about what his body can and can't yeah. do with this new leg. And, you know, us, we've, I think we've all seen photos of the leg and it's, it's a horrific looking thing. So, um, you know, he, he maybe overdid it early in the week and he would change that, but that's just going to be his his new normal of playing tournament golf. Mm. Do we? I've often thought we, we underrate Tiger and his achievements. Does it highlight, in fact, this week just how good he's been for so long? It's an unexpected thing, is it not, Logue, that even when he's not playing well, that he might miss the cut. That was an unthinkable proposition for the best part of 20 years. Yeah, it was. And I, I think my takeaway from observing Tiger this week was just – what, how much energy it takes to play golf at the highest level. And in hindsight, it was almost ridiculous to think he could have been a contender. Just when you observe what the week took out of Rory and, and uh, Cam Smith um, and the energy that they had to put into winning, you, you just realise what a difficult thing it is to win a golf tournament. And, and then add on let alone, being Tiger Woods. Yeah, let alone <laughs> a major under that attention and, you know, the, I guess Rory got the Tiger Woods experience this mm. week and in a way he's the sort of player who can feed off of that attention and and, and channel it into his performance. But um, the energy that that must have going through you mentally, physically for four days sustained like that is it's just something. Yeah. You just look at Tiger going around, even as enthusiastic as he seemed about it, no chance he had that sort of energy to sustain through the week. There's just no way he was ever. It was ridiculous to consider. Um, but, you know, I'm glad we got to see him play the old course again. We might not get to see it again. No, quite possibly. We'll see. Is he ever going to contend in a major again? I don't know. After this week, I don't think so. <laughs> but, hmm, yeah. Hard to say. Tom Watson did it. The conditions might need to be playing into the. I don't think it was. I, I do think. I think Jimmy's right. I think he. he, he He's, he's still learning how to play world-class golf on one leg. Yeah. And that's not an easy thing. You, you don't do that overnight, and that's p- possible. I mean, she's made the cut at Augusta, which is a staggering achievement. Yeah. And this this highlights what a staggering achievement that was. But as Jimmy says, it might just be a week-to-week thing. Some weeks he's, he's it can happen, and other weeks it's just not a chance, no matter how hard he tries or what he wants. So still, what a compelling figure. What a compelling and, figure. I mean, made the cut at the PGA, too, before he withdrew, before he which withdrew, – yeah. You know, on an absolute slog where he was just about falling over, getting in and out of practice bunkers because they're on side hills. So, um, look, it, I think it's a case as well that as good as he's played the old course in the past, it's now an arms race of who can make the most birdies. Um, it's not so much about controlling and watching others make mistakes. It's it's all about birdies, not so much about bogeys. And that's not the current version of Tigers necessarily his strength. That's so, the round that Rory played. Um, That's that was Rory's fourth round, wasn't it? Mm. It was correct. Yeah, it was like it was a Woods esque sort of experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, playing and, to the and big that parts normally of the gets green done and, around there. Yeah, but that that's not the case so much anymore with how far the golf ball goes and how they play it. So, yeah, interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. But yeah, still one of the most compelling sports people, one of the most compelling individuals, I think, of uh, recent modern times. Tiger Woods. Let's move on. 
Uh, major week again, Jimmy. So there's nine majors a year, as there has been for the last year. Five in the women's game, four in the men's game. The men are done for the year. The women still have two majors to go. The Evian this week and the women's British Open in, I think, four weeks, three weeks, something like that. It's Scottish Open before. Yeah, so there'll be a link swing for the, the women as well, which will be fascinating to watch. Minji Lee defending. What can we expect this week, Jimmy Emmanuel, in France? Evian Lebain, I think it's called. Is that the town? Uh, yeah. Nothing like the golf course we saw last week. Could not be uh, more polar opposite. <laughs> if you've gone from really loving sitting up watching that golf course, this week will be an affront to the senses. Um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's interesting how the LPJ Tour schedule goes in the lead up to this. There's been a there was a substantial sort of break after uh, the women's PGA, and then they play a teams event last week, and then they go to France and play a major. So. Um, you know, Minji, we haven't seen much of. So she's obviously in great form. She won there last year. You'd have to think she's a big chance, but she's going there without much tournament golf in recent weeks under her belt. Um, so, yeah, it, it's sort of – it's a funny one this week because it sits on its own a little bit. Some of the players went and played an LET event last week, uh, so they will have geared up. But uh, it's a – it's a bit of an unknown form-wise as opposed to like last week where you watch everyone play the Scottish Open or whatever in their lead-ups. It's, um, it's quite different. But look, you'd expect Minji to be right there again around a golf course she clearly plays well at. It's, it's, it's her sort of golf course. You know, It's a ball striker's golf course. It's target golf. It's playing quite measured golf and, and waiting for others to make mistakes and you take your chances. So, yeah, I'd expect that she'd be right, right there. Logue? Old course to Evian? Is that the golf tour you'd like to go on? <laughs> Not well. I'd <laughs> skip skip the uh, Evian. I, I looked at it on the on Google Maps the other day uh, just to see how uninspiring it looks it really this is the course by the way not the, the place. we don't want to be uh, i don't want to fall into the trap of you know downplaying the importance of an lpga moment mm-hmm. you're not doing, but i don't i've never felt that the evian course is worthy of its status in the women's game no and it, and it no it doesn't serve on, the women's game well that one of its majors is played on a course that's agreed, not good agreed. enough. it doesn't showcase their game no uh it it's set on a ridiculous slope going down to lake geneva and it's uh all the holes run in the same direction just about and they're all basically the same hole again and again and again and it's you know lush and architecturally questionable yeah yeah it's just, just but this boring. proposition on a just podcast looks- i did not that long ago was the women's game deserves better for a major yeah, than the course at Evian. it does it's just a boring venue for a, for a, a major but it's still high stakes golf and the compelling part of golf is watching good players play for high stakes and what it means to them. Yes. Um, and I think that's why, uh, you know, the Evian deserves our attention as as a major. It's a, you know, it's the fifth major, but it's uh, it deserves our attention because the players mm-hmm. treat it as a major. Well, I mean, G. Lee's a two-time major <laughs> they, winner. They it's consider it a major. Well, it is a major. Mm. It, I know. <laughs> uh, look, Min- I think Minji winning the US Open really, you know, was great validation. If if you have a career where the Evian is your only major, I think that feels a lot lesser than if the US Open was your only major. Um, but is the Evian the players' championship to the men's four majors? Uh, the fifth most I, important uh, it's tournament? It's not even that. I, 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 think it's, I think it's really it's really sort of a bit more of an example of how different the, the two the men's and women's golf is, that it's a major, you know, the players obviously, like Logue said, know it's a major and treat it as such, but 
it's got much more to do with financially is why it's a major um, in the first place. Uh, so I think it's it's quite different to the players in that you know say what you want about Sawgrass, but it's a it's a big theatre sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. It, the course at Evian doesn't create that same sort of theatre. Um, Was it a mistake to ordain this a major in twenty thirteen? Min Chi Lee doesn't think so. No, but there's one. At least it's not in the US, um, so that that's good. But if you're going to pick a tor- pick a tournament to be a major outside the US, have it move around. That that's what was needed there. Have it move from country to country, and uh, there's an opportunity gone. Now you've got five women's majors. You're never going to. Well, maybe you, what do you do now? You go to a sixth, or you um, you try and convince this one to start moving around. It's just yeah, it's the opportunities for the LPGA are enormous, and the difficulty they have is the resources to be able to capitalise, isn't it? Because you look at all the mistakes that men's golf has made, which has led us to this point with live the live golf thing, and we've, we're seeing what's happening there. The LPGA is in a position to do all of those things differently to what the PGA Tour has done, and not make all of those mistakes. But they don't have the resources, Jimmy, to pull it off all too often. Yeah, I think that's spot on. It's um, it, it, as Logue says, this is a particularly interesting case because it's only recently become a major. But if you take that status off something like that, does it cheapen the majors and does it make it, you know, that? But the LPGA is in a situation where everyone understands it's still a growing and deservedly so tour, and mm-hmm. uh, that you can make changes, and if the players buy in, they buy in, and that's what makes it. So, so um, it it it's a far more malleable sort of a a, a tour, and the the tournament ideas are, are a lot more fluid, I suppose. That means it can avoid the traps of men's golf because there's not the money there, you know. So the the U.S. Women's Open, the Women's British Open, and the Women's PGA have all elevated themselves to truly special status. They those three stand out, and they've done that on the back of taking Great the venues. tournaments to golf courses that that elevate the game. The purses have followed, mm-hmm. but it didn't Great start point. with increasing the purse amounts. It started with taking them to the venues that elevate the game. And that's where both the ANA, now the Chevron, to be, I think they've named the course now in Texas where they're going to play it, and this one fall down. The yeah, cart is before the horse. Uh, and that seems that seems problematic. If you were going to redraw the men's game, as we've heard Clates and Huggy say many times, you'd do a completely different way. If you were going to redraw the women's game, same is true. You would certainly have one of the four majors, or you would make it four majors, and one of them would be played in the Asia-Pacific region. Hmm. No question. At least one. You could maybe make the case with women's golf that two. And I think there's a case to be made for one major being at the same venue every year. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, a better venue. A better than venue Hills than was. Yeah, and a better venue than what this uh, this course in the Founders Cup seems to me. It would have been the obvious fifth major to me. Yep. Since they took it out of the Arizona Desert and the resort course and started playing it these last couple of years because of the pandemic at a couple of truly great golf courses, we've seen fabulous results at it. And the Founders Cup should be a major. It should be one of the most important tournaments in women's golf. 
and I think everybody would have been on board with that. If they'd said in 2013, we're going to start this tournament, it's called the Founders' Cup, it celebrates the 13 women who started the LPGA and the history yeah. of how we got to here from there, everyone would have said that should be one of the most important tournaments in the game. I guess except it's, again, very US-centric. It's the US LPGA. And True. But, were you going to just host that but it's worthy. in America the whole time? Uh, it's worthy. It, yeah. it certainly is worthy, but yeah. I still think like the men's PGA, the women's PGA could go international very easily. Uh, well, not very easily. There's a certain amount of expense involved in that, et cetera, et cetera. But that would be a workable concept. I mean, who doesn't want to watch the best women players at Royal Melbourne when they had the Australian Women's Open there? They were phenomenal few tournaments. Mm-hmm. The, the, the clinic that, that Lydia Coe put on, I think it's 2014 or 15, it might have been, was just uh, was staggering. It was fabulous to watch. So... So whilst I do feel the course lets it down this week, there's no questioning the input. There's not a player in that field. We have this argument at the men's PGA every every year. Sure, it might be the fourth place of the majors, but it's still several levels above oh, yeah. the week-to-week tour event because it is a major and there are only a few of them. Who else should we, should we be looking out for, Jimmy? Who are the uh, players in the women's game that are just lurking at that next level? I think of Leona Maguire immediately. I'm sure she established herself at the Solheim Cup. Still only one-time winner on the LPGA Tour. She seems a better player than that. Anna Nordquist just keeps coming up and winning stuff out of nothing. She won on the LET again this past week. Who should we be looking out for in the women's game? I think you've hit on two of the biggest ones straight away. I mean, Anna Nordquist is so impressive. Like, just shows up every year and contends a couple of times and goes to golf courses that she clearly likes and plays well. Um, she'll be great to watch at Muirfield in a couple of weeks as well, but I think mm. this week shapes as a very, very good week. Um, you know, Leona Maguire is another one that really seems to have something special. Uh, and it was a couple of weeks ago, but awesome to see Tiger and her engaging about mm. the golf course at Congressional when mm. they played the JP McManus the other day. So, um, it's I'm still fascinated watching Nellie Corder making a significant comeback that I think gets a bit underappreciated about you know, how much time away she had away and the, a, a surgery on that blood clot and everything like that. And she and her sister played quite well last week in the team's event. Team uh, Jelly, I'm not on board with that. I didn't like that. Team Jelly, they called them. Jessica and Nelly. I just wasn't on board with that. I've been trying to make Norder and, and Jorda a thing, but mm. that's not- Yeah, stop doing that. Yeah, okay. That's about as impressive yeah, as Team Jelly. Norder and Jorda. Yeah. All right. yeah. you're, you're, Jimmy, they come in threes. He's had a shocking joke. I've had a shocking <laughs> joke. It's your turn at some point between now and the end of the show. Uh, look, I, uh, outside of those guys, you know, it's- Has Jin Young uh, Co had Jin, her eight? Jin Young Co. Is what you're saying? I think it's getting there, yeah. Oh, uh, huge call. Yeah. There's, a, there's your wow. joke. <laughs> I, I think you can't keep going at that rate. You know, it, it's as good a run of golf as we've seen for a long, long time, but it, it, it has to fall off a little bit. And she strikes me as someone who's going to have hot streaks ongoing where she will, you know, fall off a little bit and then pick back up again. But I haven't necessarily seen uh, enough to suggest to me that she's going to show up and absolutely brain them this week. Uh, it's, well, it's glad you added this it, week because it was only sixty-three straight greens in the last. I know. Of the year. <laughs> like, she something else. The things she achieves. That, that, amazing. That non-bogey streak. The uh, uh, 
Greens in regulation streak and just consistent top five performances. It, it's got to be. It's got to translate into another major win sooner than later. In in Jichun as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what a performance she put on at the women's past Egypt. winner here as well. Past so. winner here rediscovered her game. Was in the wilderness there for a while. Uh, I know Caddy Dean heard and reasonably well. I exchange messages with him quite often, and he's excited about the week ahead. Although he's not a small unit, Dean, and it's not the easiest walking golf. Oh. As I pointed out <laughs> to him, he's, he said, "Yeah, you tend to be a little leg weary after the four days there." He had COVID after the PGA too, so he's. He's dropped a few kilos, not of his own choice, but because he sort of had to. But I certainly think there. I tell you the player that I think and have said for a while. No surprise, not like I've made any revelation. Taya Titikul, who played well here last year, I think she finished third. She's won once on the LPGA as well. I got to see her firsthand of all places at Dubbo Golf Club in the Women's New South Wales Open a couple of years ago. She was in third gear at best, could not get anything right, and was was still three steps above the majority of that field, an extraordinarily talented golfer who will be a world number one in the not-too-distant mm. future, I'm sure of that. I think uh, I think for two people, if you're sitting down to watch it, two players that I've watched a bit of, two of the amateurs that I would encourage people to watch play a bit, are Rachel Heck yep. and Rose Zhang. Yep. Like, I was going to say Rose Zhang. I'm so impressed by those two players every single time I've seen them compete. Um and, yeah, it, the more chances they get to play these events, they're only going to get better. But they're also two that I don't mention as watch these two players. They're going to be a couple of years' time. These are, you know, they could play really good golf and find themselves in, in, the in positions to contend on Legitimate something. contenders, yeah. Feels like Rosang is ready to make a big impression in a, in a like, a big tournament. Like Well, some- she's, she's out playing the Epson Tour and just – you know, leads that that money list by by heaps because she's she's got that you know big player energy when she arrives at a tournament and it feels you're exactly right that there's a tournament coming where she's going to really stamp herself and go hey yeah I'm I'm here to play and and she won't announce take a backward herself. step yeah it, it feels like she's really ready to announce herself on the world stage you know for people who follow golf and have followed her amateur performances we know about her but. The, the more casual golfing viewer, I think, is yet to um, have Rosang sort of announced to them. And, and this feels like this week could be the week that she uh, contends and uh, and does something special. Anna Davis, who won the uh, Augusta National Women's Invitational, the left-hander who impressed everybody so much from, with the bucket, she's also oh, in the field. I wanted to ask you, Jimmy, specifically about Hannah Green. When she left these shores back in March, I think it was, having won the mixed event down on the border to great excitement around the place and rightly so looked to me like she was ready and has looked ready for three of four rounds at just about every event this year surely her time must come soon she looks to be on the verge of something quite special i think hannah her last couple of tournaments probably haven't been so good but what about her chances this week in fact i'm going to look it up while you're talking how has she generally performed at this tournament i'll come back to you on that while you have a quick chat to us yeah, uh, you're exactly right that there's the one round that's sort of holding her back from being right in the mix uh, a lot of the time. like it, It's easy, I think, for people who maybe don't watch so much after she played so well in Australia, winning Vic Open, winning TPS Murray, Murray River, and, uh, and think, well, she hasn't gone over there and won everything. Well, she's played really, really mm-hmm. solid golf. Um, she probably finds more golf courses on the LPGA Tour that don't suit uh, as opposed to when she plays at home, 
So the opportunities are maybe less and and Hannah can be a bit streaky too. So she's got to have the right week. Uh, this week could suit now with the way her game is. You know, if she if she can get driver in play, she'll have a lot of birdie chances around there and and get an opportunity to to put a stamp on there. But she's she's one that you'd think is a very big chance this week because she's had a couple of weeks off and she's come home, which typically if you look at Hannah's career, that's always something that bodes well. Um, so, yeah, she's had the maybe not distraction, but, you know, she got engaged earlier in the year as well. So, you know, Jared Jared Felton finally <laughs> finally got down on one knee. So, um, but there's, I think, I think the back end of this year could be really good for Hannah. She'll be one who's got a big circle around the Australian Open mm-hmm. and she'll really compete through the back half. I think, uh, every year when you go to the AIG Women's Open, people talk about Hannah because Scottish lineage and all this sort of stuff. But I think her game this year is really primed for that. Uh, Evian probably doesn't suit as well, and I'm not looking at a record like you are, but I don't think it would be that good. You'll have a sigh of relief when you understand that she's only played twice, missed the cut once, tied 30th, the other hasn't played it the last two years. One, I think, was the Olympic year and the pandemic was all sort of awkward as well, yeah. so hasn't been her yeah, favourite so, venue. Yeah, I don't necessarily think this is a golf course that out and out suits her, but she's now at a level with her game. Where that, that doesn't matter so she, much, doesn't it? It it's, doesn't matter, yeah. And uh, so the break at home would have been a nice little lead up to it and and You'd hope, but I, I, I'd say she's got a big circle around the Women's Open at Muirfield, and I'd say she's got a bigger circle around the Australian Open at Victoria and Kingston Heath. Top 10 in two of the three women's majors this year so far, Logue. Tied eighth at the Chevron. It's great to have this in front. I should have the computer in front of me more often when we do this stuff. <laughs> Tied fifth at the Women's PJ, which was the last time she teed up. She's a big event player, Hannah Green, I feel. Mm. The bigger the event, almost the better and more focused she is. She wants it. Uh, and I think Jimmy's right about the Australian Open. She told me once that it was at least as important as the majors to her. She'd rather have an Australian Open than a major win, I think she might actually might have said. Yeah, she's an extremely consistent performer and she's one that can uh, optimise her game for the big events, it seems. Um, and, uh, you know, she, the way she manages her time now throughout the year as well, like where she locates herself in the world and what she's doing all seems to be about she, – she's in the, the luxurious position or she has the luxury now of being able to focus on these big events and she's very good at optimising her form for those big events. So, look out. Yeah, I mean, she, she's certainly going to be up there. It's L- Logue is the missing ingredient, uh, Monica Marcazzani. Oh, could be. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, explain for the uh, poor listeners who've got no idea what you're talking about. Monica Marcazzani, sister of uh, James, who's a – PGA Tour of Australasia player who caddied for Hannah at the Vic Open and TPS Murray the, River for the two wins. Yeah. So, and was kind enough when we were shooting Hannah's uh, What's in the Bag to clean the bag so that we could get a good shot of the name Hannah Green. Sensational. Very, uh, very meticulous cleaning of the bag, just like the. In the unlikely <laughs> event that Monica is a listener, because I don't think that's our demographic, that's not our strong suit, the young women of golf uh, listening to the Good Good podcast, but on the on the off chance that she does, good to have a shout out to Monica. Well done. Monica. And give her a follow on Instagram. She's a very talented artist. She's got a Instagram account called One yep. Observation, and she makes uh, some incredible um, 
artworks there. Let which is very, guess, very good golf. Let me guess the link's going to be in the show notes line. I, yes. Because I can see you looking it up now, ready to email it to me and adding it to the list. We'll be looking forward to that. Anything I've missed from – well, obviously there's millions of things we've missed from this week. Anything else we need to talk about before we – let's be honest, go, because it's, time's getting away. Jimmy? Uh, no, I, I don't think so. Um, I know we discussed in a text yesterday of – uh, oh, the media stuff. Ha- Good Lord. The media stuff and how it gets referred to. I think, I think everyone's getting a bit just over how everything's you know going so far, and uh, I, it sort of sticks that because everyone's trying to get you know the first word that someone's going to live or something's happening or whatever. It's become golf has become just the home of hot takes which aren't necessarily right or are just a guess and. Um, the 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 question of someone as oh yeah well the golf media and all that sort of stuff when it's just someone with a Twitter account is you know it's it's frustrating and it's uh, yeah, it's getting to a point of just time to log off half the time. Yeah, it's- that becomes the story in an interesting way though, doesn't it? Like golf, golf's at least it's in the headlines. <laughs> it's got some attention. And uh, you well, even if you know, I, I find the whole thing fascinating. So do I. But we're golfers, and we find it fascinating from a certain perspective. The danger is, if you're trying to save Northcote Golf Course, all of this stuff is ammunition for that ignorant point of view that golf is a millionaire's game. Okay. Yes, that's true. It's that's a true. shocking look for the game. Yes. Yeah, I, I think I think that's right. I mean, around Australia, there is a pardon me. There's going to be a guy with a mullet and a bad moustache on the cover of newspapers for winning the Austra- uh, the, the Open Championship. They're going to talk about how he's from one team, a country club, and just a Brisbane boy who loves rugby league cars and coffee, and he won the biggest event of the year. And then next Makes week sentence. there's going to be all this talk about him getting $150 million potentially to go play somewhere else, and it disconnects what is the positive spin out of it of just a guy who just was – loved golf and got really good at it and has made himself into a great player and won the great championship uh, is, you know, is going to be offered this sort of money. And it, it it once again portrays golf as something that it's not necessarily, but people who detract from golf believe it is and actively say that it is. And you can't really blame them for having Absolutely. that opinion when you see the coverage that the game gets. Mm. Yeah. That said, I think Beyond those, are, those are pretty deep cuts. I, I don't know that. All of that is cutting through necessarily. For the most part, people glance at the thing and see uh, a bloke who looks like them to some extent, and they, it's like, oh, somebody, some some like typical Aussie bloke won a big tournament, did he? Yeah. Like that. And I think that's then, then took the surface level more. takeaway. That, that that deeper cut, I just don't think that gets through. It gets through to the oh. to golfers, like I you know, blokes who have been completely unengaged with professional golf at my club. Uh, are now texting me saying, oh, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? How'd they get your number? How did the rabble get... Oh, have you got a second number? Hey? <laughs> no, so there's some interesting discussion there, I think, amongst golfers. And the image to non-golfers, I think, is... I wouldn't read too much into it, honestly. I do. I, I think I, I there's think, more positives out of it. I I, I, I've spoken to a whole lot of people who have no interaction with golf, don't watch golf, don't play golf, don't... It, and for the first time ever, they will ask a question about golf because of purely live stuff. No, I get that. I, but they're not necessarily taking it further and going, oh, this is typical of golf. And like, oh, now we're going to have to close that Northcote no. because I, I think that's 
Uh, no, nobody's suggesting that. But I, in the discussion about Northcote and the notion that golf is just for the few, live golf being high in the psyche of those who are indifferent to the game plays into their perception. And golf becomes that. Bit. Golf is not Northcote on a Wednesday morning or the old course even on a Sunday with kids playing in the bunkers. And that's, in fairness, not public golf in most places either. But it becomes this, you make those connections. I assume that sailing is a rich person's game, as I've said to you before. Yeah. Horses are the same. I think people who are into horses and equestrian, that's a a recreation for people of a certain – and I'm probably wrong about a lot of that. But that's my sense of it. And because I'm indifferent to it, if they wanted to shut the local equestrian centre, I wouldn't care. I think there's. it's more about the visuals, and the visuals haven't really come through from Liv yet. It's when golf is portrayed on ridiculously overgreen private courses that I think it gets that image. I think we've we've had completely the opposite experience this week where, you know, it's played on a public course where it's brown and people look at it and go, oh, you know, that must be uh, a fairly sustainable Sport, look at that! Like it's on. Oh, I think you're stretching. <laughs> I'm sure that they think that. Well, I don't think it portrays a look negative. Look at all that dog walking space there that's <laughs> locked off, so that these multi millionaires can smack a little wall, white ball around it. You're talking about the old course, yeah? People, I don't. People, that's part of one of the storylines of the old course that people to walk us, their dogs there. To us, but if you're going to say that doesn't, it says great dog walking land. Why, why am I not out there walking? <laughs> if my you're dog saying that, every day? that doesn't cut through, but. People are somehow making a connection that because there's a new uh, evil like empire sponsoring golf, yeah. therefore golf is. But I, yeah, I and, th- and the golfers are taking I the think money. That's just as obscure. No, the golfers are taking the money. And that, that's that, the problem. That money come. Sport is awash with money, and nobody's the least bit surprised that any sport is oh, sponsored by to, some. That's all. I'm gonna have to go. I'm gonna have to, <laughs> I'm gonna have to deal with you up there. You really need some re-education. You've completely missed the point. Uh, How dare like, you? Look- Logan, are you suggesting that Trump Bedminster, when it's on YouTube, doesn't scream sustainability? That's exactly the point I was making that, yeah, like, it's the visuals that are going to come through from Trump Bedminster are going to do a lot of damage. Absolutely. I think Couldn't agree more. news stories talking about live actually bring some attention to golf. I don't think it necessarily makes an immediate connection in people's heads that it's like, oh, therefore golf is this elite sport. Well, I'm going to have to think about that. I don't think you're right. In fact, I think you're wrong. I'm sure people aren't interested in listening to us arguing. Jimmy, been great to have you aboard, mate. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Do the dishes, would you? They're in the background there. The You're lucky that I've done that. They're just drying. What's going on there? Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what you are even seeing. Yesterday, that shop was full of Le- Lego figures that I was washing K-Car <laughs> out of after my son's birthday party. It's a, so. it's a shocking visual for the game, Jimmy. Fix it. Between your dishes and Trump Bedminster, the game is unsustainable. No, that's exactly right. Uh, totally uh, unsustainable. <laughs> Thanks for uh, thanks for coming along, Logue. Good to have you wandering from left field to give your view. Uh, thank you very much, Rod. Most enjoyable. That's episode, oh, God, what episode is it? 114. Good, good. In the bag. Episode 115 next week here on the Good, Good Golf Podcast. <laughs>